you want to be a big God person, then there's a couple of do's and a couple of don'ts. It's pretty simple. You get to choose. So I want to talk to you about the toxicity of living in the rut of routine. That's where you're as boring as one of your old relatives. And I'm telling you, if you got a bad haircut, a bad marriage, and you're a grouch, God didn't do that to you. But something else did. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, and verse 6 and 7. Normally, it takes only 11 days to go from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Verse 6, when we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, my translation, for crying out loud, you've stayed on this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Would you do, indulge me and say, break camp, move on. Now that's a word for somebody this morning. It's about time. We are sick and tired of hearing your old sick and tired whatever happened five years ago. Stop it. It's time to break camp and move on if you want something that's got a little bit of jazz in it, a little carbonation in it, a little bit of life in it. You can just camp over a tragedy, a disappointment, a personal failure, and God says, I want you to break camp and move forward. Let's talk about a rut. A rut, by definition, is a habitual, usually dull course of life. That could apply to some folks this morning. Don't look left or right. A.W. <laughs> Tozer, in his book, Rot, Rut, or Revival, writes, the treacherous enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ is the dictatorship of the routine, where routine becomes Lord in the life of the church. Programs are so organized and prevailing conditions are accepted as normal. So pretty much anybody can predict what will happen at any time. It seems to be the most deadly threat in the church today. When we come to the place where everything can be predicted and nobody expects anything unusual from God, we're in a rut. Then we've reached the place where what has been determines what is, and what is determines what will be. He goes on to say, what has been should never be Lord to tell us what is, and what is should never be ruler to tell us what will be. God's people are supposed to grow. Nobody expects a cemetery to do anything but conform, he says. The greatest conformist in the world are those who sleep out in the cemetery. They don't bother anybody. They just lie there. You can predict what everyone will do in a cemetery from the deceased right down to the people who attend the funeral. Everyone and everything in a cemetery has accepted the routine. He goes on to say, but the church is not a cemetery. We should expect much from it. As long as there is growth, there is an air of unpredictability. Unfortunately, in most assemblies, you can predict just about what will happen. We blame the devil the last days and anything else we can think of. But the greatest enemy is not outside of us, it's within. It's just an attitude of accepting things as they are. 
It's believing what was will always determine what will be. And as a result, we don't grow in our expectation. What got you where you are today won't take you where you want to go. What got us as a church to this level will not sustain us at another level. At every level, the price goes up. To whom much is given, much will be required. There are no Kmart blue light markdown specials on a great life. They're pretty darned expensive. Now let me talk about some causes of ruts. And just see if God wants to say something to you, not your wife or your husband, but to you or your friend, just you. Number one, when you lose the spirit of adventure, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. Helen Keller said that. She was born deaf and blind. You know, some people are more adventuresome than others. I like to watch extreme sports. I remember skydiving. Although as a commercial pilot, you don't jump out of airplanes, you fly them. But I did do it. I wouldn't be addicted to it, but I did it, and it was a thrill. I remember Cindy and I climbed the Sydney Harbor Bridge in Australia, linked up, climbed to the top, and then back down. It was pretty cool. I remember at 60 years of age climbing Mount Rainier with a 70-pound pack and wondering, what the heck am I doing here? (laughs) But I did it. And, and, it, and it's adventure. Uh, you know, sometimes, some of you, you, you're good people. Please don't misunderstand. You're wonderful people, but you don't want to go out and do anything. And if you're married and, and your spouse likes to go, let's go bowling or let's go to a movie, no, I don't want to go out. You're going to cause trouble in that marriage. Now, I might not like it. Cindy took me to an opera. I would rather have a colonoscopy than go to an opera. I am a rock and roll guy. I did not like that at all, but I went. I ain't going back, but I'll do something else with her, but not that. And I'm just saying, if you become a homebody, it's not healthy to a relationship. You've got to be able to compromise a little to do things together, perhaps that you wouldn't normally go and do. So the spirit of adventure is simply not how dangerous something is. It's just about being alive. You know, maybe go down tube the Guadalupe or something. Just for the sake of doing it, go ahead and do something that's got a little adventure in it. You know, whether you're 20 or 80, the capacity to experience adventure still exists. Old man, the old senior elder Bush uh, was a World War II pilot shot down in the Pacific and uh, parachuted. And every time he has a birthday, even now, in his, what is he, 90, he parachutes. That's a pretty extreme thing at his age. I don't see too many of you doing that. And you know, at that age, when a lot of stuff isn't working, that's a pretty good buzz. I don't even think he cares if the chute doesn't open. Well, you got to admire that somehow. Uh, I remember Cindy bought me a... Uh, I guess it was for my 60th birthday or something, uh, 
tickets to ride the Richard Petty NASCAR. And they let you actually suit up and drive the NASCAR. You don't have a guy in it. You just get to rev that thing by yourself. They have a limit. They won't let you go beyond 135 miles an hour. And I did eight laps doing that. And I remember thinking, man, what a kick. I can only imagine what it must be at 200 miles an hour. Cindy got in with a driver and he took her to 187 miles an hour around that deal. Now, she's not normally like that, but she was screaming and having a whoopee good time. <laughs> Adventure. Some of you could use a little bit of that to spice up your life. I read about a man who lived in the same home for 50 years. He never traveled more than 25 miles from home. One day he up and sold his house, and he moved next door. When, when he was asked why, he said, I guess it's just the gypsy spirit in me. The brother needs a little more gypsy in him than that. Another cause of routine, you know, in rut, when you've got routine instead of relationship with God. With routine, you can repeat religious behavior and have no relationship with God whatsoever. Church life can be just like that. You go through a form, but there's no—you stand up, you sit down, you do three Hail Marys or, or Baptists or whatever you do. You d stand and sit and stand and sit and do your routine. Well, anybody can do that and have absolutely no relationship with God. You know, sometimes I'm not in a good mood. Sometimes I might feel a little bit unhappy or depressed about something, and uh, God lets you be who you are. It's, it's kind of nice. He, he loves you in all those different seasons you go through. So you don't have to go through form. You don't have to do the same thing all the time. We could get up and change the service and say, you know, I feel we've done it on a few times. I feel like God wants to speak to some people who are sick, and we're going to pray for you. Well, you're upsetting the routine, aren't you? Well, that's good. That's not a bad thing. It's good. Maybe God wants us to praise for a full hour and uh, not have me preach, which wouldn't be a bad idea sometimes. Well, I, yeah, I vote for it. I'm, I'm just saying, doing things. Doing things over and over again and losing passion for it indicates you are in a rut. And a rut, by definition, is a grave with the ends knocked out. And if you're there, I'm going to urge you, break camp and move on. Don't confuse activity with accomplishment. Motion is not direction. Go get on that carousel and you can have motion all day, but you ain't gone anywhere. And that's the way a lot of people's lives are. If the scenery hasn't changed in the last five years, you're not making any progress. You ought to be looking at something you haven't seen before, and that means you're moving, you're changing. That's a good thing. Number three, another cause of a rut, unwillingness to change. Change is one of the major ingredients of Christianity. If people could not change, the gospel would be meaningless. In John 1.12, he says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become. Dunamis is that word, dynamite, to power to become the sons of God. God is big into transformation. God, I can't change you. I can't fix you, but God can. God has the power to transform and change your life. If a person could not repent and believe, then the gospel would be a lie. And when you're through changing, you're through. I don't care if you're 20, we hadn't buried you yet, but you are dead. That's a fact. Some of you need to know, you've been saving your eight-track tapes, they're not coming back. <laughs> Some of you, you know, you've, got, you've married the seat you sit in. And if somebody grabs that seat, 
because we changed the time of the service, you're mad as a black widow spider that we put water on. You're so upset because your commitment is to a seat, not to the church and to the kingdom. My, my, my commitment's not to the time of service. It's not to a seat. Just hold your little interior. I can't believe they took my seat. Well, they believe it. They did. We're here to reach people. Shut up and take another seat. We're not here for you. We're here for people that are not here. We want them to relax and have a good time. You back there seething. Who needs the devil? I got you. you I'm telling you the truth. People get mad, leave it. Well, I, I can't. I've been in that church so many years, and that's my seat, and they can't believe they took that away or whatever. Well, believe it. It's changed. God will upset you. You know, we ch- change the music. Styles have changed. Uh, I think my microphone just changed. I think it just, I think it just, it just fell off. We pause for station identification. Hold on. Is that working now? Am I on now? Okay. Love technology. Sheesh. I don't know. Music changes. You know, Bill Haley and the Comets back in the 50s. No, nobody's ever heard of I know they haven't. And you don't want to go back there. Tear down the mailbox, lock up the door. There's a teenage meeting at the candy store. We're going to rock it up right. It's called Rockabilly. Then, then a, T-Rex. Okay, I know. It's old. And, you know, then Elvis Presley came along, wiggled his leg, and you ain't nothing but a hound dog. And then the, then, then, then the Beatles came in, changed everything. And, and on and on, and Motown showed up. Music doesn't stay the same. Well, tell that to the average church. Hey, you know, we're not singing 400-year-old hymns. They're not evil. But music is just a vehicle to carry truth. So the style, rhythm, the approach of music changes in every generation. I, my, I don't like my kids' music, but they don't like mine. But guess what? I, I'm sure that all of us that are at different ages may not like certain kind. Well, I miss that old hymn. Well, just miss it for Jesus' sake. If I can reach people with a better vehicle with truth, then I'll gladly defer my own personal taste. Uh, I listen to stuff with my granddaughter I would never listen to, but she's happy, and I love her, so out of unselfishness, I defer to her. Wouldn't be, I wouldn't go buy it, but she likes to listen to it. And so, it's the same way reaching people. You got to get over this. It's all about me. It's not about you. It's about others. Jesus came to seek and save people far from God. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served and to have His seat saved. He came to serve and to give. And that's a part of the Christian faith like that. So get over the fact, well, I think the music's too loud. We'll move further back. <laughs> get you some $1 earplugs at CBC right over. I'll send an usher to get them for you right over there. Gripe, gripe, gripe. Too loud, too cold. Too loud, blah, 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 blah. You're just too hard to deal with, you know? You're like the guy that was stranded on a marooned on an island all alone. And when they finally, rescuers finally got to him, they found three huts. Wait, well, three huts? What's this? He says, well, that is my house. That was my former church. There's my new church. And there ain't nobody else on the island. Now, some of you are like that. So, change is a process, it's not an event. If you want something you never had, you got to do something different. 
you got to do something new. It's true in your marriage. It's, it's you know, put a water slide in the bedroom. Do something. Uh, you got to jazz it up a little bit. Routine, I don't care how hot you are. I don't care how long or short you've been married. Anything gets boring if it's just continuous routine. If you don't interject occasionally, a little change. Sometimes get some Dijon hot mustard, you know. I'm wondering how far to go with this, and I'm watching my wife, and I'm thinking, okay, move on. Number four, resistance to learning new things will put you in a rut. Proverbs 18, 15, the intelligent man is always open to new ideas. He looks for them. Here's a good question. How about you? Are you looking for new ideas? If you're in business, is there a better way? If you're in sales, is there a more effective way to make sales? Have you looked for new ideas? How to use the social media? How to use technology that's all around us? If you become a learner and stay a learner for the rest of your life, people will always want to be around you. You know, all disciples are learners, but not all disciples remain learners. Learning is not just related to the Bible. It's what you know about a lot of things. And the older you get, the more you have to fight to remain a learner. And you can learn in a lot of different areas. It's, it's, I'm, I love to learn something new all the time. I mean, I had an iPhone, uh, smartphone for five years before somebody showed me in texting that when you push the text, there's a microphone. I didn't know what that was. And I can talk into it, and then it'll write out what I said, and I don't have to do this and this punch it. I mean, some of you are still using wax string in a can. Some of you still have a flip phone. You know, some, some of you don't even know how to use it, don't even know how to text. Learn something new, please. It'll, it'll, it'll give you something to talk about. It'll make you feel alive. It'll make brain cells work, help you through dementia. It really will. Always learning something new. I love to say, I didn't know that. That is the coolest thing I ever saw. Let me, we're doing Periscope right now on social media. Now it's the new thing. Not Facebook, not Skype, but Periscope. And uh, you can talk to somebody on your phone live and everybody all over the world can just push a button when the little Twitter thing beeps, and they tune right into you live. And you can watch them wherever they are. Maybe they're eating dinner with a friend, maybe they're entertaining somebody somewhere, or they're doing something adventuresome, and they're on there saying whatever. So we did Periscope a minute ago in the Speaker's Lounge watching the Wimbledon. Just did a little brief called Periscope. Check it out. It's brand new, just starting to sweep. So the guys are kind of teaching me how to do it so I can be confident and do it on my own. But I'm learning something new. When is the last time you learned something you didn't know? New. See? You're going to get in a rut. It costs you to grow, but it costs you a lot more not to grow. That's why I go to marriage seminars. Alimony costs a whole lot more than 20 bucks to come to a marriage seminar. Some of you have paid several times. That's not smart. So grow. Buy a book. Read something. Number five. You'll get in a rut by settling for premature success. Israel was in the wilderness. That wasn't the promised land. They got out of Egypt. That's good. But they're not in the promised land. They're in the wilderness. And they were settling for something less than God had in mind. He said, you've gone around this mountain long enough. We're supposed to be headed somewhere. We're not there yet. So break camp and let's move on. Maybe it's a new church building. 
Maybe it's a certain level of skill that's paying the bills. But it's not everything you're capable of accomplishing. So you settle for a premature level of success, but it's less than God has in mind for you. You know, we, 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 I looked at our journey as a church from a hotel room through multiple locations to here at Summit, and I thought, hey, some of you are going to be like Israel. You think, well, we're here. We're not at the finish line. Uh, Joshua says there remains much land to be possessed. He told Israel that. We've had some success, but this isn't what God promised. We got behind those curtains room for 2,500 more seats. I want to, I'm not leaving this earth till we see this place full. I want to see a gym. I want to see a children's actual classroom building over here on the side where we have property and land. There remains much to be done. And that takes, that takes money. It takes people. It takes reaching more people to do it. I'm not going to settle just because it's comfortable and we pay the bill, paying the bill foot. I, I hope you got bigger dreams than just paying the bill, because uh, I'm not settling. I, I, I just chafe all the time at how slow progress seems to be. I read in the USA Today the other day, three days ago, the Atlanta, Georgia, they had a 5K or a 10K run. I forget what it was. And this guy celebrated. He came to the, the tape, and just before he got to the tape, he was doing this show off and a guy came right by him and broke the tape. He shouldn't have won, but this guy celebrated premature success, lost the race. So I'm not celebrating anything. I'm thankful. I'm grateful for what we've got. But this is not the finish line. Good gracious. I can give you a list of things that we, we still have to put that beautiful uh, monument sign out here and move this electric one down there. But nobody does it for free. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Number six. You settle into a comfort zone. Familiar faces, familiar places. You don't commit to meeting new people, doing new things, going new places. Why? Because it feels more comfortable in the environment you know and you're familiar with. But you'll never get a miracle. You'll never see anything new in a comfort zone. Same old, same old. Number seven, you have a limited view of relationships. You believe the only relationships you should have are with Christians. That's not right, not biblical, and not healthy. People who come to church and accept Jesus Christ are usually people somebody has invested in relationally. You loved them. You listened to them. You didn't judge them. You served them. And non-Christian friends can help you see things the way the non-church person perceives them to be. Now that's helpful. It challenges me to consider how to present good news. So learn to accommodate people who are different from you. You don't have to agree with them and who believe differently from you. I would caution you not to marry somebody who is a non-believer who doesn't share your value because Paul made that one pretty clear, 2 Corinthians 6, don't be unequally joined with an unbeliever you're going to have a fracture in that relationship. Don't make a business deal with a non-believer. He is not anchored into values that you are, so he will not have a problem with unethics behavior or uh, not paying because he's not a believer. We can't expect people who are non-believers to behave our way. I, I don't expect people that don't know Jesus Christ to believe what I believe to behave like I believe. Why, do you, why does the church get so upset that pagans act like pagans? Be nice if Christians just acted like Christians. They, they, it's always been different. 
Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was around them all the time. He was quite comfortable. He didn't become a sinner. He was just friends with them. I'm not going to influence anybody I'm not a friend with. You know, to be salt, you have to have influence among people who don't always think the way you do. Generally, after two years, statistics show that a new Christian loses contact with non-Christian friends. Now you've lost all your influence, and the only people you know and talk to are Christians. Well, now you've got no impact at all. So enlarge your circle of friendship. And number eight, an incomplete view of life. These are lots of experiences that make you a well-rounded person. Billy Graham could talk to presidents, prime ministers, and kings of nations. I don't think he could do that just because he knew the gospel. I think he had knowledge, summaries of the topics of the day. So believers should read a newspaper, magazine, summaries, sports page. Be aware of the current events. Be aware of what's going on. Our ladies soccer team, uh, Serena Williams just blew away everybody with 123 miles serves. Uh, you don't have to know everything about it, but you could know the highlights to make you an interesting person. So no matter who shows up, you can converse about anything. Christians should be informed people in many areas, not just the Bible. I can't sit down next to a non-believer or sit down to a business guy on a plane and make a bridge saying, do you know John 3.16? Are you going to hell or heaven? Well, no, you've got to bridge it with some common interest. So if you've got general knowledge about a lot of things, you're very interesting, fun to be with, and the ice gets broken, now you've got a little bit of a bridge to build a connection. I mean, if you're going to date a girl for the first time, you've got to have a bridge, boys. You don't walk up to a girl and say, excuse me, would you like to marry me? <laughs> well, based on your approach, probably not. Anyway, I'm just trying to say, you've got to warm it up. Uh, okay, I'll move on. That's how do you get out of a rut? Like me in right now, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? All right. Number one. Are we okay? I'm hurrying. This takes, I got to, I'm going real short. Embrace diverse activities. Embrace diverse activities. Music. Go to a concert. If you older people, Steve Martin was here and Dave Letterman flew down and walked out unexpected on stage and all. That was a cool night. Uh, other entertainment is offered at the venues down here. Go see Willie Nelson before he dies. Art. Exercise. Cars, motorcycles, boat, fishing, golf, shopping, literature, adventure. Embrace diversity in life. It'll help you become a well-rounded, interesting human being. What's diverse in your life? Number two, change your thinking, your paradigm on the secular and sacred. That simply means some people think that when they're in church, that's sacred, but when they're on a job, that's secular. I don't hold that view. I believe we only have one life unto God, and we are meant to do everything we do to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 17, here's Scripture, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Go look at a breathtaking sunset at the beach somewhere or up in the mountains as it sits and, and, and think about the psalmist who says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows His handiwork. 
I went to the Kruger National Park in Africa years ago for the first time and saw hippopotamuses and, and giraffes and rhinoceroses and lion prides, packs and stuff, all kinds of weird, strange-looking creatures. And I remember my brother-in-law, who was with me on that trip, says, I don't know why God made all these weird animals. And I remember thinking, I just had a word of wisdom. I said, to show His diversity. To, to show a creator intelligent design behind all this, to get your attention. He uses the natural to get your attention. So it's really kind of cool. You can say, God, man, you did good. Yay, God. When that sunset sets over Hawaii or somewhere out on the Pacific, I'm thinking about it. I'd like to go. And I'm already there in my head, but watching it go down with a Mai Tai and a pair of shorts and Aloha shirt. Yeah, we do a little whatever. I like diverse. You can tell. I, you've got to have some fun. You've just got to have some fun. And you include God in Thank Him for the skill to, to, to put a frame on a house. Thank Him for the skill to operate on a person, if you're a doctor, or to diagnose something, to the glory of God. That's a God-given gift that you have, whatever it is. Otherwise, you're going to feel guilty about doing stuff you don't believe are spiritual, or worse, God's only for Sunday. And we don't want our kids to believe that. He's all the time. The rest of the week's His too. This is nonsense. Number three, be cautious about chasing, pursuing, being spiritual. Now, notice my, it's not, I'm not against being spiritual. You're pursuing being spiritual. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I believe in pursuing God, loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and could I add, enjoying life. Are you fun to be with? That's a good question. Ask your wife. She'll tell you. And there's a few wives you ain't very fun to be with either. If you don't spike it up, this is how a guy gets a midlife crisis. All of a sudden, he's bored with the routine. So he gets him a Harley Davidson motorcycle, and he gets him a little motorcycle hussy to get on the back with him, and he rides off into the sunset, and you wonder, what the heck happened to him? He got bored. He ne- it happens all the time. You need some stimulus in your life, and occasionally that's what variety does for you. Go to a marriage counselor and see about it. You, you, you've, you've got to break out of that routine. And I'm not excusing behavior. I'm just saying, hey, you guys didn't, why didn't you get you a Harley Davidson when you were married? Then you could go have a little bit of fun and do something to spice it up. You don't have to leave a wife of 40 years and go get a Harley Davidson and a new hottie somewhere. Am I doing okay, girls? <laughs> I got the amen corner over here, but it's all female, so I don't know. So when you become, I think when you're trying to pursue being spiritual, you usually end up religious, legalistic, and unfriendly to be with. You know, sometimes after church, go to a movie, go to the lake, visit a flea market, shop on Old Street in Fredericksburg, go to a ball game. I don't feel any less spiritual when I'm having good, clean fun. Church and Christianity ought to have some fun in it. The Bible says, laughter doeth good like medicine. And remember, a rut is when you're unwilling to break the routine. But breaking the routine is the only way to get out of the rut. And I think that genuinely spiritual people, for them, they're unconscious of it. Generally spiritual people don't know it. They just love God with all their heart, and they have an energy and capacity for life. They're fun to be with. 
Paul rebuked the Colossians because they were defrauding people with rules and regulations. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. And he said it had the appearance of wisdom, but a false humility and was of no value. So become an alive and real person in love with God. Number four, break into some uncharted territory with God. If you don't speak in tongues, try it. It won't bite you. It'll help your prayer life. It's simply a gift from God. Sometimes I don't know how to pray or what to pray, but a prayer language allows you to articulate before God's Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us to the Father when I just don't know how to pray. If you're married with a lot of kids, you need a whole lot of the Holy Spirit helping you ask Daddy, I don't know how to pray about this. Help me. It's a gift. It's not a merit badge. Some, do things you're afraid to do. Try laying hands on a friend or someone who's sick. You'd be amazed. They might just get healed. You know, it's interesting. Some of you pray for somebody to be well at our altar for half an hour. All Jesus said, be healed. Get up. Two, three-word prayers. He didn't even pray in Jesus' name because He was Jesus. I have to use His name because in His name, I have delegated authority. So do you. So I'm saying, it's an authority issue. It's not a time issue. When I come to pray for you in the ICU, I am armed and dangerous. I'm carrying known authority. I am an ambassador for Christ, quoting Scripture. I'm a priest and a king. I'm walking on the enemy's turf. I know my legal rights. So when I walk into that room to pray for you and lay my hands on you, I am doing something not as a ceremony, but because I know I have authority. And I'm going to rebuke it. I'm going to rebuke that fever, and I'm going to rebuke that disease, whatever it is. Now, it's not always a demon, for crying out loud. Jesus, when Peter, his mother-in-law, had a high fever, it says he rebuked the fever. And that spirit of infirmity left. By the way, uh, Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law, right? So all my Catholic friends can sort of connect the dots there. He, he was married. He had a mother-in-law. Maybe it's okay to be married. Wouldn't that liberate the Catholic Church? We all need liberating. It's funny how we don't read the Bible. I just don't get it. Anyway, you don't care either, so I, all right, fine. And I lost track. Where was I going? Uh, oh, he rebuked it. Yeah. So you say, well, Rick, well, how do I know if that's a, if that's a demonic spirit of affliction or, or, or not? Or that's just natural consequences of, a, of an infection? I don't know. I just rebuke it anyway. Tell me a better way. I don't know. If it is, I'm going to make it go. If it isn't, then we're just praying for healing. But either way, I'm going to attack it. I don't know, but I'm going to bind it because this is what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I bind that affliction and I loose. I don't pray long prayers. Some of you, some of you could go through menopause before you quit praying. Stop it. You don't have to pray that long. I'm not saying there's a time of intercession where you might, in desperation and pain, want to go pray. But I'm saying when you're around people and someone asks you to pray for them, for God's sake, have mercy. Pray. Short. Jesus, just, it doesn't take that much. It's a recognition that you have the right to do it. And God said, we lay hands on the sick and they shall recover.
So at least somebody's better because you prayed for them, but try it. Try it on your children or your wife or your husband or somebody. Come here, honey. I'm going to, you'd say, well, I got to get Rick over here. No, you don't. You're a priest and a king too. You have the same authority I do. You just have to do, use it. And so I'm just saying, do something you haven't done. Maybe go on a fast. Oh, this is cute. Try three days, no food. Some of you could use that, but I'm not going to go further and only water. I remember I went on a three-day fast in July, years our girls were about this high, and I just thought I wasn't under any pain, I wasn't any, there was no big drama, I just thought I'd fast for three days. Sounded easy. So I think I was into the second day, it was Saturday, I had cut the grass, came in to get a drink of water, and Cindy had been making hot chili dogs. She had chili dogs, chopped onions, she had mustard and ketchup, chili she was salting the French fries laid out there, and the aroma just hit me. And she said, honey, I'm fasting, man of God, second day, honey, would you like a chili dog? <laughs> I said, yes, yes. I didn't say, no, darling, no. I'm on a fast. How dare you? Yes. I didn't wait a nanosecond. There was no binding the devil. I went down for a chili dog. Bam. Gone. And now my, my point in being honest is to say the power of your flesh is not revealed until you deny it. Now, you talk about how strong our flesh is, you'll see every billboard got food on it. You'll smell food you never smelled before. You can smell better than a Labrador retriever. You can smell somebody blocks away grilling outdoor. It'll walk. You couldn't do that when you're well fed. But boy, everything on the radio is advertising the new double whammy water burger, whatever, whatever. And it's like everything in your body is coming alive. And if you don't believe it, just do a 24-hour one with no food and just water. And so bringing that appetite under control, you create an opportunity to give yourself to God. How about committing to read the Bible completely through, just once in one year? That's four chapters a day. That is not a big sacrifice. And it is well, you can go online, you can go to get a, a Bible, you can go to the bookstore and get one, how to read the Bible through in one year. Simple and read it completely. You might be shocked at what you find in there. You just might. Number five, don't let life's routines rule you. Watch for signs of boredom. Because if you get into a rut, there are signs. Sleeping too much, eating too much, watching too much TV. Number six, don't link money to diverse activity. Certainly, we all aren't at the same level economically. But everything that's an activity is not expensive. Don't say, I can't afford a vacation, I can't afford a weekend getaway. How about camping instead of an expensive hotel? How about a bed and breakfast? How about going hiking with a group of friends? How about spending a day at the beach with a group of friends? How about going to a museum that's free? If you go up to Fredericksburg, the Pacific Museum of World War II is one of the most fascinating ones I've ever been through. And the submarine that one of the five that went into Pearl Harbor from the Japanese was captured is right there. You can touch it, walk right up beside it. You can see Japanese Zero airplanes. You can see American airplanes planes, tanks. You can see pictures that are vivid. A great father-son outing for something different. Just to say, wow, look at this. And it's just an hour and 10-minute drive up, 
Highway 10 to Fredericksburg. I think it costs a few dollars to go in, but it is so big and it is so worth it. Or try shopping an area that represents different ethnicity than your own. Maybe go up to New Braunfels or somewhere and try uh, some German food in the surrounding town. All I'm saying is all of that adds a little bit of flavor, a little bit of color to your life. You, you know, when I met my wife, she had never been out of North Carolina. She took a, a, she took a bus tour once to Canada, and then she met me. And that girl got in my airplane, and the world became small <laughs> to her. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Excitement showed up. I said, baby, you're going to have the time of your life. Hold on for the ride. I'm going to set your hair on fire, girl. We're going to boldly go where no man has ever gone before. <laughs> You're getting, you're getting the spirit of what I'm saying, right? Here's the thought. Go visit, if you, you non-Catholics, go visit a cathedral once. Enjoy. Just check out the ambiance, the style. It's, 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 it's educational. Or go visit a very high steeple, very formal Protestant church. Robes, candles, choir, a lot of form. Just go see it. Not to be a critic, but to embrace diversity, to say, Wow, I never saw that before. There'll be things you don't like. There might be something that was very nice. But I'm saying it brings diversity to your life. I've been in everything. I've been in a Buddhist temple. I've been all kinds of places. And it adds a little bit of variety and color to your life. It's not a place I'm going to go, but it's a place I wanted to visit to see who does what and how they do it instead of just listen to hearsay. Go experience that for yourself. Number seven, cultivate a broad range of friendship. That's really important. Proverbs 18, 24, a man that's got a lot of friends has to himself be friendly. People who bemoan the fact they are lonely make no effort to cultivate friendship. You want everybody to come to you. God says, you go. You become a friend to many people. Business, government, sports. I read that people who cope most effectively with old age are people who have spent a lifetime cultivating effective friendships. If you're single in your group, be sure there's some married people there. You might want to stay single. You never know. If you're married, <laughs> include some single people. If you're young, be sure there's some relating to older people. If you're an older person, for crying out loud, engage some younger people as well. And last, capitalize on fresh moves of God. Stay fresh in the Lord. Keep your relationship with God fresh and alive, and work on that day and night. Uh, finally, some questions you can only answer. Number one, when last did you do something for someone else that cost you something and from whom you could not expect anything? When last did you make an effort to develop a new friendship? When last did you open your home to friends or a stranger? Number four, when last did you include someone new in your circle? Number five, when last did you make someone who looked uncomfortable feel at home? And may I challenge everybody, be on the lookout for folks that don't go here, that are new here, and they're not sure, break into their group, give them a hug, introduce yourself. Say, welcome. 
Make them feel that way. I'm on the prowl. Cindy's on the prowl. Some of you as well always want you to know you're accepted. Relax. Be comfortable, regardless of your background, your race, or your gender. We're, we're glad to see you. That's good. Well, number six, when last did you contact somebody you knew was hurting and hiding? Maybe they've gone through a terrible divorce. Maybe they've had a scandal. Uh, don't run from those people. Approach those people. Make sure that they know they can trust you. You're not there to judge. You're just there. What help can I offer? When last did you do something about a need you identified without telling everybody about it before or after you did it? Not letting the left hand know what the right hand did. You just did it. When last did you do something radical like let somebody know you love and appreciate them? When last did you think about how your life could change if you started doing any of those things on a regular basis? When last did you laugh out loud uncontrollably? And last, when last did you do something outrageous? Woo! Outrageous. You don't live that way, but it is a moment, and it's not all that bad. It's interesting we can have our prayers answered. We can have the power of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us. We can have hell fear us because we have a relationship with the God of this universe who, draw, who, who draws us to draw on His omnipotence and power. We're offered all that, and yet most people are sent and just content to sit around with no ambition. We say live life large, live life bold, live a big God life, break camp. Move on, and it's your choice. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.